The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And every one that he does, that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. The woman whose memory we celebrate today, St. Teresa of Jesus, has much to teach us not simply in terms of the beautiful and powerful spiritual writings that she left behind, but also in terms of the quality of her living. As a young girl, a child really, she ran away from home to go to that part of Spain that was still under the Islamic rule of the Moors. And she did so hoping they would catch her and kill her because she wanted to go to heaven and you have to die to get there. Even at our most enthusiastic as children, how many of us would say we love the Lord that much? Her life is marked by a burning and unrelenting desire for eternal life. Think about that for a moment. Her life was marked by a burning and unrelenting desire for eternal life. Can I say that about myself? What about your life? Is it really marked by that? Isn't it interesting how that doesn't really seem to affect the way we who proudly name ourselves Christian live? But from her childhood into her maturity, 
Her life was lived with an eye fixed on the goal, and her great desire was eternity. What a remarkable thing that is to say. We who pray every day, thy kingdom come, and yet spend so little time seeking it, looking for it, truly desiring it. And it was this great desire for eternity, for God, that rooted in her that desire to live the truth that God himself is my salvation. And so it is no surprise that as she grew older, she entered religious life to dedicate herself to prayer, to seeking union with the Lord who from her youth was the goal of her heart. And yet the next thing Teresa teaches us is that desire isn't enough. Her life, her early life in the convent was unremarkable, typical, ordinary, bland in a sense. Interestingly enough, simply going through the motions of being a good and faithful religious did not produce in her the growth she desired. And the great enemy to her spiritual maturity, what stopped her short time and time again, was not what we would consider at first glance a great sin. It was idle conversation. The wasting of time, breath, and energy talking about nothing the way we fill our days with idle sound, idle attentiveness, unfocused, undirected, never improving, slight goodness, easily let off course, always distracted, never focused. What a remarkable thing to realize about herself. As much as she desired from her youth this greatest of all outcomes, there were simply ordinary aspects of her character that stopped her short. She discovered she was her own worst enemy. What a remarkable and important discovery that is. In fact, of the many revelatory experiences that she was graced with from heaven. Among the first of those was a gift that if we're honest with ourselves, we all need, but none of us would want. The Lord showed her where her small, in her eyes, faults would ultimately lead her if she was left to herself. And I'll give you a hint. It involved fire. Nothing was dramatically wrong. Nothing was obviously off course. And yet what the Lord was showing to her is that it's often small things that build up over time. 
one step out of the path, a small step, that becomes a second small step away from the path, and then a third. No one thing is so great that I'm worried about it. And this is often how lives go off the rails, individually and socially and collectively. And following her ordinary way, the outcome would have been the exact opposite of what she desired. Not eternal happiness, but eternal frustration. And this rooted in her a deep distrust of herself and her own motivations, realizing that there are hidden fountains of sin within her. It led her to question herself in such a way that she dedicated herself to uniting with the Lord by submitting to his will including by submitting to that will as expressed by her superiors. And the great fruits of holiness that her life produced flow from that. This is why the particular gospel reading that we have, the vine and the branches, is so appropriate for her. She realized the truth of the statement of Christ, without me, you can do nothing. It's not that nothing happens, but if we truly desire to do and to live good, we must unite ourselves with him who is the fountainhead and the source of all life and all good. And so she took this word of the Lord deeply, deeply seriously, and she dedicated herself to recognizing to preserving and to growing in that deep and intimate mystical union that is implied when the Lord says, I am the vine and you are the branch. What Jesus showed her was that very, very easily we can disconnect ourselves from the stem. The branch can fall away from the vine, not dramatically but a little bit at a time, it disconnects itself. And when the branch first falls off the tree, and you know this, when you prune a tree and you cut a green branch off of it, what color is the branch right after you cut it? It's still green, isn't it? It looks like it's alive. To the eye, nothing is wrong. It looks healthy. But in a short time, what will happen? It will no longer be green. It will be dead. And the Lord had shown her, in a sense, in that initial revelation, how easily we can separate ourselves from the vine and yet fool ourselves into thinking because the leaves here are still green, I'm still connected. I'm still okay. But over time, a little by little, that life that was there drains away and it can't be restored because the branch has disconnected itself. This teaching of Jesus is incredibly important 
And note that this is not a teaching for everybody in the world. It's a teaching for the baptized. A teaching for the disciples. A teaching for those who are truly his own. You have already been grafted onto me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You who profess faith in me, be careful that you do not cut yourself off from me. Note how important this is, how big an issue this is, this teaching of the Lord that he gives on the night before he dies. As he will give his life for the world, he says, you have life when you are united and connected to me. This is also a very good reading to have before us on this day, where we begin praying here at the shrine what we have been announcing as a novena for life. Because when we do this, it is important that we begin, not simply by looking outside of ourselves at all of the attacks against life that we can identify, as if the problem is out there and not first in here. How did we get to this point in our world? And this point in our world is not simply a point at which we have so many threats against the dignity and the integrity and the value of life. Note where these threats have rooted themselves in lands that were once proudly Christian. How did that happen? How is it that this country, which so gloried in its own Christian foundation, how is it that this nation, not some other nation, not a nation of unbelievers, but a nation of believers, once described, once described by a European who visited with these words, America is a country with the soul of a church. If we're talking about threats against life in this country, we're saying something about ourselves. If we look to Europe, proudly Christian Europe, and we see again this movement toward the legalization of suicide, this widespread embrace of that which is against life. Notice again, in lands given to the gospel, in lands consecrated to the Lord, these things have happened. Note the importance of the words of Jesus. You are connected to me. Oh, but if you lose that connection, you will not have life within you.
if you lose that connection, you will not do good. And so we begin our prayer today recognizing this because we, the people of God, have much to answer for in the way we allow ourselves to pull away from the gospel, to pull away from the Lord. And what happens? We learn what Teresa was shown by Jesus, little by little, I begin drifting off the path. And then all of a sudden I find myself with that horribly misguided and disordered idea of mercy, which thinks it is better to end a life than preserve a life. As if the relief of pain is the most important thing. And notice how it's all cloaked with good intentions, with wonderful words that are a superficial echo of the values and the language of the gospel. Note how easily that happens, how readily that happens. The remarkable thing about what we pray about today and over these coming days is that this is not something that found its way here from the land of unbelief someplace elsewhere. It's something that found its way into the attitudes and the values of a land that once proudly believed. People like us. And that's sobering. Note how important it is to begin with our union with the Lord. Because when the branch is cut off from the tree, it gives the false appearance that it's still alive. And that appearance, that deceptive appearance, that everything's all right, then encourages that further cutting away from the vine, which says, I know best what I need. Which says, I can choose and determine and even define what life is, what gender is, when life should begin, when life should end, and under what limited circumstances it has value. And everything is cloaked in the language of positive values, of rights, of compassion, of mercy, of freedom. But the real guarantor of goodness, of freedom, and of mercy is no worldly structure however well-intentioned it is in its foundation. The guarantor of all of these things has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. For us as Christians, who participate in that great groaning of all creation that St. Paul writes about, 
Our groaning has to begin with our learning to respect in a deeper and fuller way that fundamental union of life that each of us has been given with and in Jesus Christ. Because we will never have respect for life in the world around us if we cannot first respect the newness of life that Jesus has given us. But we too easily take it for granted. We too easily compromise it and lay it aside for lesser things. How good it is that we have the example of Teresa, who learned on the one hand very young to desire the greatest of things, and then who learned later in life how easily she could be knocked off course from the goal. And yet how mightily and wonderfully she worked when she knew that she was drifting to regraft herself fully onto the vine and to be sustained and restored by the life that only Christ can give us. And how absolutely wonderful, truly, truly wonderful. And note the, note the grace that comes as we reflect on this. It's, it's a difficult reality to accept and to embrace, but it's important. But then note how this opens us up to what's just going to happen in a minute. We who are the branches, who gather here in this place, are called to come forward to him who is the vine. And we will stretch out our hands the branch reaching back to the vine, receiving again its union, its communion with the vine. And in receiving him in this great and beautiful sacrament, we will hold the fullness of life itself within us. Pro-life for us begins there. Our prayer for life begins there. We have other days to reflect on other concerns. But if we, as the people of God, do not deepen our respect for the life that God has given us, not simply in creating us, but in loving us to the point of dying and sharing his own life with us, we will never go very far in producing the change we seek to see in our culture, our nation, and our world. Oh, but if we begin here, if we truly deepen that respect for the incredible gift that we are given, we respect that life, the life of the vine within us, then all things indeed are possible. And what a great gift. What a beautiful reality that is. We don't often think of Holy Communion as a matter of life and death. But in a certain sense, it really is. Because when we take it for granted, when we're indifferent to it, when we are inattentive to the life of the Lord within us, sooner or later, our feet 
find themselves off the path of life and drifting toward its opposite. We have much to pray about, much to pray for, but we have the very best of beginnings here in this great sacrament. Let us take advantage of it this day and let this beginning strengthen us for the days of prayer ahead. Amen.